the careers podcast with the information you need to take the next step yeah nick house and john rose checking back in with you and letting you hear such useful careers conversations nick i think it's about time that we went into one of the stem based jobs in this one yeah another really fascinating insight into a different career again uh, that of laboratory research and one that is, is so topical at the moment, isn't it, John? It most certainly is. There, there's no getting away from it, and understandably too. Um, so let's do it. Let's press play on that conversation. Uh, we're about to hear from Lauren and what it is to research in a lab. Inside View. Hello, my name's Lauren, and I'm a postdoctoral researcher. I design and carry out laboratory-based experiments to answer certain research questions. So, for example, before I was a postdoc, I did a PhD in cardiovascular disease and endocrinology. So I designed experiments to ask the main research question was, what is the effect of testosterone treatment in atherosclerosis? So I used a variety of different uh, laboratory experiments to test and answer that question. How, how did you get clarity on this being, you know, the role for you? How, how did that happen? Was that a thing at school? No, it came much, much later on. Um, I didn't really know, if you ask me now, what I wanted to be when I was at school. I wouldn't have a clue. I can't remember. Um, I, I was always sort of good at science, good at maths, good at English, just a fairly average good student. And then I... Something happened in in my family that um, made me more interested in science. Um, So when I went to college, I did um, some science courses and then I went on to study biomedical science at um, my local university because I thought at the time I wanted to be a biomedical scientist in the NHS. But our course allowed us uh, in our third year to do a placement and that could either be in industry, in research, in the NHS, sort of wherever you could find one, whatever interested you. But I ended up doing mine in research in the university that I was studying in and I did a year-long placement in medical microbiology doing exactly what I said before, carrying out experiments to answer research questions and that was testing sort of novel therapies against um, infections that um, may be acquired in hospital. And that's what gave me the real taste for research. So once I finished my placement, I completed my degree and then I started applying for PhDs. And um, I got one in the department that I did my placement in. I think it was that placement that gave me the edge over other candidates. The edge that you got from that kind of, shall we say, loosely real-world experience, that sort of work discipline, can you say what those things are? How, Lauren, that you suddenly you know, took this shift because, because you got this placement? So I think I had the edge because I'd worked in that department before and recently. My director of studies of my PhD was a new lecturer and I think he wanted somebody who he could rely on to get get on with the project with uh, eventually minimal supervision. And because I'd worked in the department before, he, I suppose, had the opportunity to 
not only get my references su submitted with the PhD application, but to ask around informally, maybe, I'm not sure, to get some character references from people he knew and trusted. I think that's what gave me uh, the edge. And obviously, I must have interviewed okay as well. <laughs> You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> I hope so, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it all went swimmingly. I mean, this. The, I, what I'm going to ask you, I suppose, is... Um, it is a little bit of a how long's a piece of string question, but if you are somebody who is looking at those potential career choices and higher education choices, you know, in secondary, you know, you're in maybe the the, the year or so run up to exams, and and scientists aren't particularly your strong suit, but but you want to do what you are doing now, can you play catch up? Do you think you know? Is it possible to to put in the extra and and make yourself sharper in those subjects? Oh, definitely. My um, partner now uh, didn't particularly do extremely well at school. He uh, he didn't. He just didn't enjoy it. But he found his um, his path when he uh, went to university, and he really enjoyed science and research. And now he's um, a postdoctoral research associate um, in a, a really good research department in Leeds. So you can never write anything off you can always catch up i did my degree with many mature students who had um had children a different job i work with i worked with someone who was a postman and a plumber for many years and uh, he is the most amazing phd student now in uh, materials engineering there's definitely a way you can always catch up to do what you want just because it's not what you want to do now if you choose to do it in the future, there's so much, so many options out there now for everybody that you can do anything. The role you're doing now, uh, how how rewarding is it and, and why? Rewarding, depends on how your day has gone. Science <laughs> comes with a lot, a lot of ups and downs and, um, you know, we have to work really hard and to work, get funding and it's really competitive to get funding to continue your research. But when something goes well and you you can you find something novel that's interesting that will event either eventually or does help patients, you know, live an improved life, improves their disease or what have you, it is extremely rewarding. You get a good feeling about that, especially when you've you've seen how um things can affect people. So my PhD looked at cardiovascular disease in men. Well, obviously, if you've had a heart attack or you've got cardiovascular disease of some description, then your quality of life may be less than people without it. So it's looking, we looked at treatment for cardiovascular disease in men particularly. So we're always looking to improve people's lives. That's the ultimate goal or cure them of a disease or treat them with their disease. So it has its ups and downs. There are bad times, but there are good times as well. But with every everything you research, it may not lead to anything, but everything, every discovery, every piece of research is worth something because it's something you didn't know before. Do you feel this kind of um, clear sense of, uh, of of deadlines, if you like, of, of, a, of a race, I suppose, that's what it is, a race to, to get to something first that you want to be that first lab or indeed the first scientist and that, you know, maybe, just maybe, you can put your name to something? I don't particularly think of it like that. The race, 
aspect of it would be the deadlines for funding. So you need to, you know, you need to show evidence that your research is worth funding, either to pharmaceutical companies, charities, funding bodies. And that is very competitive and difficult to get. I don't feel the need personally to, to put my name to something. I have done laboratory-based research and continue to do so and different kinds of research with the aims of improving people's lives, but I don't personally feel the need to be that, that name as such. I just enjoy contributing as I do. If somebody set you to one side and asked the qualities, not just the academia, but the qualities that somebody needs within their character to pursue this career, what are they? You've got to be a flexible person. Science never stops for anything. It doesn't stop for Christmas, birthdays, holidays. Um, it doesn't stop for the weekend or overnight. So you've got to be so, somewhat dedicated to being flexible with your working pattern and working life. You've got to be obviously hardworking and have a, a good work ethic because very often you will be funded by, in, in some way, by, for example, someone may have run a marathon to raise however much money to do donate to whichever charity. And that charity may be directly funding your research. So you've got to think back to someone has awarded you this money, because science is very expensive. Someone's awarded you this money to carry out research with the aims of helping people. You've got to sort of have the honesty and the work ethic to carry out what you should be doing and not doing it sort of half-heartedly as a, a normal nine-to-five job, let's say. There's a lot of flexibility required in science. So you've got to be honest as well, you know, just because your experiment hasn't gone very well, you've got to report exactly what has happened, the results as they are. You can't, you can't just sort of glamorise or make the data look better because that's what suits you. You have to report yes. the truth because in the end, this has got to, it's contributing towards hopefully improving lives in the future. And there's no, that won't happen if, if honest reporting isn't there. The qualities or some of those qualities then, um, what has the job taught you? Resilience, I'd say the main thing. My, um, everybody, most people I know, we've all had, we've all had uh, bad days where we've, you know, we put a lot of work and effort and time into researching something and it has amounted to um, not necessarily a negative result, but it hasn't amounted to anything. You know, we have a result, but we've not seen, let's say you were treating something and you just put a lot of effort into researching this particular treatment and you found out quite far down on the line that it, it doesn't really work, it doesn't do much. And you've got to go back to the beginning sometimes with that knowledge and try again so you've got to be pretty resilient because a lot of a lot of the time what you're what you hypothesized may not happen it may not work out so you've got to go back to the drawing board and think why that's happened and what could you do differently to have maybe have a different result next time but that obviously takes a lot of time 
to get to that point and time disappears so quickly in science and things move on so quickly and you just never know who else is researching what as well a lot of the time they may be researching something similar to you or superior to, to you that's relevant and they may publish it first or find something first and then you've got to follow a different avenue and when an improvement in the quality of somebody's particular condition you know uh, or, or their own challenge has been made and it's down to something that you and you know your colleagues have done although you know we, we know that it's not about the personal glory but do does the workplace get a sense as a team that you you've made a difference and, 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 and how, how can that come back to you? How does that come back to you? That doesn't really come back to us. We are too early on in the pipeline for us to see that. We are, as researchers in the lab, very often we are nowhere near clinical trials or patient treatment or anything like that. We are at the very sort of beginning looking at things in the lab on a smaller scale. So we never usually get that far. However, if you've had a relative, close friend, anyone you know who, for example, has had um, an illness, even just a just a normal infection, and they've been needed to be treated with antibiotics, at some point, somewhere, someone has researched, taken the time to research that and carry out the experiment to make that treatment possible. And that is why many of us are still here still alive because we've had the opportunity to be treated with medical advancements made however many years ago by researchers just like us that ability to sort of self-motivate on an ongoing basis is very important because if you're waiting for for feedback you know you could be waiting a long time or forever effectively we have to keep going because we know for example, I obviously looked at cardiovascular disease, which is the leading cause of death. Even though I don't see the effect on patients as such, you have to still think, you know, this is this is causing people to die mm. now. And whether my research hopefully will one day contribute towards helping the burden in those patients. So you just have to think about it that way. One day, hopefully, my research yeah. will contribute. Um, even if we don't see the results in our, ourselves or even in our lifetime. Is there a natural place to go to within a particular lab or organisation um, or pharma company from here on in? Is there something that you think, well, actually, in this X block of time, I would be there and I need to do this in the meantime? Depends on what you want for the future. Um, my partner, for example, wants to stay in academic research he wants his own um, laboratory in the future to research what he is interested in what he thinks is important and he's working his way towards that through um, postdoctoral research funding and he will apply to be a research fellow pretty soon uh, with the with that goal in sight whereas i have a slightly different path in my mind I probably I won't stay in academic research. I'm moving towards more real world research, looking at the results that are already out there and um, ciphering treatment patterns and medical decisions in that capacity. So it just depends on what you want for your future. Once you've sort of a lot of people complete their PhD and move completely into something different. I have a couple of friends that uh, work for pharmaceutical companies as in medical affairs 
There's all sorts of different directions you can go in. Just depends on what you want to do personally. The average salary for a postdoctoral research associate is £33,000 per year. Now, this is the median average of the pay range, which goes from £29,000 to £39,000. Of course, some of the factors to take into consideration for salary will be the level of funding, the precise nature of the work and the sector. Skill set. Interesting, Nick, isn't it, that, that Lauren couldn't actually see her career path clearly at school. I think the temptation is to think that, you know, you go to school, you might get to 13, 14, 15. If you're lucky, you might know even before then. Uh, might be quite unusual. But really, school didn't didn't offer that clarity at that point. Yeah, it's, it's a really common recurring theme, isn't it, of all of these podcasts where we interview people with different careers. And, and it's so easy to get in, caught into the trap that like, everybody else knows what they're doing. Everybody else has a plan except me. And, and it just is, is rarely the case. If, if you do have that, then fantastic. And you know where you're going, pursue that path, of course. But often it's, it's just a case of taking it step by step, going from one thing to the next as you're led by your interests and your, your talents, your abilities. And then something might happen and Lauren says a little bit about that, something that happened close to home that really caused this area of, of, of scientific research, medical research, to really capture her desire, her passion. And, and that's what led into that. And it's it's really, really common. I think I should point out as well that, um, diplomatically speaking, Lauren asked me not to, to push that side of the conversation and the specifics of, of exactly what the motivation was within the family. And obviously we respect that, but, but the motivation did come from an event, something... Uh, you know, within the family. And and I'm, I'm thinking, Nick, that's something that is probably more frequent as a driver than, than you think. I mean, you can take something that happens, can't you, around you, however emotional, let's say, a movie, and, and use it, not in a cynical way. Yeah, of course. And, and we're, we're always talking about, uh, when we, we think about careers and, and when we talk about the Making of a Champion programme that we run, the, this this idea of motivation. What What is it that gets me giving my best efforts, doing great work, feeling energised and enthusiastic about what I'm doing. And that motivation can come from all sorts of different places. And and in one sense, it it doesn't matter so much what the trigger is. It it matters that we we, we follow and we listen to to ourselves in terms of uh, those triggers. Because when we do find things that, that, that we care about, that ignite our passion, then those are the things that we will do the hard work, put in the put in the study, the the efforts, the, the long hours, whatever is needed to, to be successful at something because it really really matters to us, and it's it's a, a thing that often you, you'll find some people don't have that motivation, and therefore everything is is a real struggle, and and I, I've certainly seen that many times. I'm sure you have it as well, John, where something is really really difficult and hard work, and you can't find the motivation to do it, but then. For whatever reason, something changes yeah, and suddenly it becomes super important and then I find myself getting on with it enthusiastically and I can't really understand why I didn't do it sooner. Yeah, something that you know indelibly leaves that mark and, and, and you know fires you onward, absolutely, Nick. I was struck by, and I know you were too, we were having a conversation before we started recording the podcast, that the, the determination strand is something that, you know, hits home and, and also, you know, lands in some very iconic places from, I know, from what you've, you've been reading. 
Yes, yeah, certainly, and and it's it's within our making of a champion program. There's lots of short biographies of of people that did interesting and extraordinary things, uh, and one of them is is in a similar field to, to Lauren's story of of, of research. Uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Jonas Salk, who invented or created the the first polio vaccine uh, in the 1950s, and, and this this incredible story of determination recognizing this incredible disease that used to used to uh, have such an impact on on hundreds of thousands of children uh, going back not not an incredible you know not hundreds and hundreds of years just back to the 1950s and and, and this uh, this guy Salk who did some research into the into the uh, the polio virus and then became obsessed with with eliminating this and spent 7 years of his life sole focus i'm gonna i'm gonna find a, a cure for this and develop the vaccine that is still the basis of, of what's used today and in in that relatively short space of time completely eliminated that as, as a major uh, disease childhood disease uh, again just just incredibly inspirational to hear these kinds of stories and the, the focused determination that, that lauren talks about when you you just need to to get this thing done there's a you know can we do something here that makes an impact salk's story is incredible when once it was uh, created he didn't patent his his uh, vaccine so that it could be shipped freely and, and used freely across the world to, to do the most good that's uh, amazing isn't it just the prospects the word resilience inevitably comes up in any number of, of careers and just if we're honest, life in general, Nick. Is it something that you can teach, you can coach? Because I'm thinking that if you listen to what she, she said and, and, and it's not unique to this particular job but much needed in it, you know, you will have setbacks. There will be experiments and research that don't go the way that you and your team and the organisation wanted them to. You'll go back to, to the drawing board as it were. What can we do? do about resilience big subject that that's a, a real differentiator isn't it between success or, or or not and being able to keep going face face challenges what what can we do i think clarity of 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 purpose what is it we're doing and lauren really really excellently talked about that you you you're you're on a, you're on a mission to prove an experiment or to, to come up with a conclusion. Does this work? Can we find a, a way to make this better, to uh, rectify this, this, this problem uh, that's going to affect people's lives for, for many, many years to come? And so keeping that in mind, that's one of the best ways to build resilience is keeping a worthwhile goal in mind, being, being able to say, this is what we're in it for, and, and not losing focus. So it's it's a really different thing, isn't it? To say if you're mm. painting a house, you, you've you've done the work, you've painted a wall, you can see what you've done in in this line of work. You might go weeks, months without necessarily seeing any tangible progress, but you're just working away in the scientific process. And so I think keeping the goal in mind is really important. Celebrating any small victories, any measurable victories as the, the famous Edison quote uh, when it comes to uh, success is is 99% perspiration 1% inspiration mm. and and reminding yourself continually that that, that hard work is in itself uh, really valuable as you progress towards towards achieving the goal there's yeah that, those things I think are are helpful keeping in, encouraged teamwork 
Converse, positive conversations with those that you're working with uh, that, mm. that can certainly help as well so true Nick so the uh, the podcast of course the careers podcast is uh, in its usual places Google podcast Apple podcast Spotify anchor radio public various other ones too all the key podcatchers and pod sites what, what about accessing information around uh, LMI's uh, the making of a champion program where's the best place for that yeah Great place to find all that is is on the, the LMI UK website, which is www.lmi-uk.com and then forward slash young leaders. So lmi-uk.com forward slash young leaders, all one word. And then you'll find information about this podcast, about the Making of a Champion program and the, the free online workshops, where amongst other things, we, we do talk specifically about those, those three magic questions that we like to ask that, that are really helpful in terms of helping people to determine the path where might they like to go uh, the, i'll recap those three questions because they're, they're always worth reminding ourselves of what do i love doing what do i enjoy um what am i good at in other words what are my strengths and then what do i care about what what uh, stirs my emotion passion again uh, lauren has, has talked about that in in this podcast episode where things that caught her uh, as being really meaningful and something she really wanted to uh, get stuck into and, and, and make a contribution around. And, and those, those three questions are excellent ones and, and covered in that uh, Making of a Champion workshop, which is uh, open and available to everybody to attend. I, I do say it frequently, Nick, but they are three outstanding questions and one that, all right, there is no one thing we know is the silver bullet when it comes to a job, to a career role, but they certainly will set you off uh, on that path really, really nicely, you know, with a great deg degree of purpose and clarity. So uh, thanks for reminding of those. And, and thanks to Lauren too. We'll see you next time, Nick. Excellent. Thank you, John. The Careers Podcast, with the information you need to take the next step.